You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. Thanks for coming out this morning. Um, we are going through the book of Acts, uh, and we've been studying through this book and learning what God has been doing in this early church, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's one of my favorite books uh, of the Bible, and it lets us know kind of like a tangible what happened after Jesus left uh, and the Spirit took over through uh, the disciples and now apostles. Um, one of the things that I think is clear uh, that we should take away is that Luke, the author of Acts, decides that it's really important to clarify who is the main character. That the main character isn't uh, Peter, isn't uh, Philip, isn't Stephen or Paul or anyone else in this book. That they're, they're, they're important characters, that they're, we're talking about them, and it's important to mention what happened in their lives. But the main character is the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord that moves through His people. And we'll see this pattern over and over again. We've already seen it, and it'll continue to happen where we see something happen where the Spirit comes upon the, the apostle or whoever's speaking in that moment, and they will do something miraculous. They'll preach in another language. They'll heal someone. Something happens where the Spirit comes upon somebody, and something miraculous happens. And because of that, and this is one of the things that I think is really key, Luke keeps writing that the Lord adds to their number that the Lord keeps adding to their number. And it keeps up this theme that Luke wants us to understand that while these people are important and they're being responsive to what God is doing and what God uh, has called them to, they are acting based on the Spirit. And, and the things that are happening, the miraculous things, the people being added to their numbers, it's done because of the Lord. And that's, that's the key uh, important step that I think Luke wants us to understand throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to see it a little bit more today as it talks about what happens in this story. And, and keep note that he's saying, the Lord did this, the Lord did this. Yes, Barnabas, Paul, Peter, they're all important, but it's the Lord acting. And so uh, keep note of that as we go through this morning. Also, what we learned last week is ki- kind of key to what's going to happen this week, that Cornelius, who is a what? What is Cornelius? What's significant about him? He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile and he received the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit's moving, moved through Peter, gave him a dream, and then Cornelius came and summoned Peter to his house, and the Holy Spirit came onto a Gentile. And that was significant because now the church can reach Gentiles. Before it was thought that the spirit, um, that the baptism that is from Jesus, that forgiveness from sins from him is been for the Jews only. But now we know Gentiles can also be saved. So uh, that continues on throughout the rest of uh, the gospel or the book of Acts. Uh, and so it's key for us to remember that now we uh, can be preaching. That's important to us because we're mostly Gentiles um, in this room. And so that's important for us. And also we can eat bacon. So that's really good. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a more, <laughs> I like bacon. So. We're going to read on in chapter 11, verse 19 through 30 is where we're going to be uh, today. And it's kind of an overlooked passage, I think. It seems kind of insignificant, but these are some of my favorite passages in the Bible because we overlook them. And being a, um, a kid that, A, I, I'm a, I studied biblical studies in college, so like I studied the Bible religiously, and I also was raised in the church, so I like I, I know the Bible backward and forward, and I've heard the you know the basic stories over and over and over again. 
Uh, so it's always these, these like more insignificant passages that don't get talked about a lot that always excite me because there's new and important information that I didn't know uh, that comes out in these, these things that we just kind of pass over. So we're going to dive into that today. Before we do it, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, um, thank you. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for providing for us. I pray, Lord, um, right now as we dive in that we can recognize uh, what Luke wants us to, to hear this morning, what you want us to hear this morning, uh, that you can speak through myself uh, and teach us something and help us apply that into our lives, help us recognize uh, that we are here to serve you and uh, that is you. You are the main character of this story uh, and we are simply joining in with what you're doing. So I pray, Lord, that you can help us do that, help us give this time over to you. It's yours. Um, do with it what you will. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're diving in, um, and in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we're going to read through the first three verses, and then uh, we'll stop and talk about it for a little bit. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, we've got this scene set for us, that after uh, Cornelius had already been, uh, the Spirit had come upon him, we have this persecution going on that's actually been going on, uh, it really took root when Stephen was stoned, not the fun kind of stoned, the bad kind of stoned. <laughs> that was funnier first service, never mind. Anyway, don't do drugs. Okay. Um, yes, we have... Uh, we have this scene where the persecution is going on. Stephen was murdered before everyone's eyes and everyone was afraid uh, and, and running away. Rightfully so, right? They're, they're scared. They're going to die. So, uh, but the funny thing about this persecution is that its goal is to stop Christianity. It's to stop this spread of this faith in Jesus Christ. And so they're trying to blow it out. And uh, I watch a lot of survivalist shows. Uh, so one of the things I notice is that when you're trying to start a fire, you get a coal, and then what do you do on it with it? You blow on it. You blow because that actually heats up the coal, and that coal then catches whatever you have to catch fire. Uh, and so that's that's the idea behind this. And now, when you have a birthday candle to put it out, what do you do? Blow on it, right? So and so it's this this kind of mentality that persecution. If this is just a candle, it'll blow it out. If this is just something by human origin, if this is just something that they had made up and decided to do, it would be blown out. It's as simple as that. And so they, they persecute, and as soon as people see, oh, we can die for this? Never mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not really a Christian. I'm just joking. That was not that big of a deal. But that's not what happens here. While they do spread out and, and scatter because they are afraid, they don't stop believing, they don't stop preaching, they don't stop spreading the word. Why? Because this has actually got the root of the Holy Spirit, the coal, and uh, it's, not actu- it's not blowing out, even though this persecution is happening, it's actually growing stronger. Uh, and that that's, tends to be what happens uh, because this is supposed to blow it out, but it actually makes it stronger because it's got the coals of the Holy Spirit burning inside of it. Uh, so we've got that going on, and as they spread out, they go to a place called Antioch. And I have a map, uh, I believe. Yeah. 
Antioch, right up here, uh, is above Jerusalem and on your way to Asia Minor, which is up here. Uh, and you see Ephesus, you probably recognize that name. Colossae is right there. Uh, they say uh, Cyprus is right there. We, we heard that word. And Galatia, you've probably recognized that. We see a lot of things that we probably recognize from biblical books uh, because that's exactly what ends up happening in this story. We're going to hear about a guy named Paul and Barnabas who end up going to these uh, cities preaching the word, starting churches, and then later writing letters to those churches. Uh, Paul would write letters to those churches and help them, encourage them, deal with some of their problems. And that's how we get most of the New Testament is because of what was going on right here. But as this spread has gone on, as they, the persecution has spread everybody out, uh, one of the places that they go to is Antioch. And Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So it's a, it's a big city. It's a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of people there, uh, and because of that, there's a lot of problems there too, right? Big cities tend to bring uh, more poverty. Uh, they tend to bring more seclusion, even though there's more people. Uh, there's, there tends to be a, issues going on in big cities that aren't necessarily going on as much in the rural communities, uh, but we have all of those in Antioch, and it actually makes it a perfect place for the gospel to spread, uh, because it's in these areas that uh, the gospel helps people that are, are suffering or in need of community and needing of, of relationship that they're not necessarily getting in their town or community. It, the gospel actually brings that to them. The church actually revitalizes cities because it, it deals with the poor. It deals with people that are hurt and lonely. It deals with the widows and orphans. That's what Christianity is supposed to do. It's, it's there for the people that need it the most. And so there's a lot of that going on in the city of Antioch, and that's why it is spreading in the word of, it says the hand of the Lord was on them, and the word began to spread, and, and at first just to the Jews, but then there's these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and you see Cyprus right there, and Cyrene's somewhere there, I know what I'm talking about. Um, but there's these guys, and we don't even know their names. And this is actually kind of significant because a lot of the times we know exactly who people are. We're like, oh yeah, Paul, he's so great. Barnabas, he's so great. Peter, so awesome. But there are also all these other nameless people that do work for Jesus in, in the gospel in the early church that we don't know anything about. We just know that, hey, they were from this area. We heard about them. We don't know their names. We don't know where they, like, we don't know where they went after this. We don't know anything significant really except for where they're from. They came here. They preached to the Gentiles. They heard, hey, the Holy Spirit comes to them. We're going to preach to these guys too. And so that's what, exactly what they do. And they spread the word. They spread the seed uh, that would later be harvested by, well, we'll read on. So uh, we've got that. Uh, and then again, we see this, this kind of theme uh, that Luke wants us to, t- to take away. That this, this main, the story is all about what the Lord is doing. While we're going to hear names about people and we're going to think about them and be like, wow, you're, you're awesome, Peter. You're awesome, Paul. God is, is what's at work here. God is the one moving. God is the one using Peter, using Paul to uh, bring about his will. Uh, so we see that again here. The hand of the Lord was on them and a great number of people believed and turned to him. Uh, picking up in verse 22, we're going to read on. Now, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. 
And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So uh, we've got this scene. Uh, Barnabas is, has heard about it. The whole Jerusalem church has heard about it. And what's going on in Antioch, that there's people believing Gentiles are even being preached to and coming to the Lord. Uh, we don't know what, really what's going on. So we've got to go send somebody to uh, take care of this and make sure that it, it's going the direction it's supposed to go and help foster them and encourage them to uh, be there for them when they start to struggle uh, so that they don't get off track, right? We've got to send somebody to be there. And they send a man named Barnabas. Now, this isn't the first time. This is actually the first time or the third time that we've encountered Barnabas. Barnabas, uh, his, his real name is Joseph, and he first appears when the early church is gathering together. Uh, they're gathering together right early on uh, and, and sharing everything they have. They're giving to one another and saying, you know what, I have a lot, this person has little, let me give, and then we can have equal amounts. And so the church is, is giving, those that had, had a lot, those that had little, everyone's sharing whatever they have and distributing it equally among each other. And we're seeing this like utopian church formed in, in the early parts of Acts. Now, uh, a few months ago, I preached on this in my famous tithe or die sermon. Um, and so this, that's what ends up happening is Ananias and Sapphira come in and, and they uh, give some, but not all. And, the, and then they lied and said, we're giving it all. And they were found out and died, right? And so that's what ends up happening. But just before that, just before we encounter Ananias and Sapphira, they were inspired by Barnabas. They were inspired by this man named Joseph who had a lot and said, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going to sell everything I have and give it to the church. And so that's exactly what he does. Uh, he ends up inspiring Ananias and Sapphira to get the same kind of glory that Barnabas has, but uh, not actually give everything that they have. And it's because of that lie that they ultimately die. But we are introduced to this man. And right then and there, we are told that his name is Joseph, but they decide to call him Barnabas. Why? Because he's just a really good dude over and over again. It's brought up here. He's just a really good guy. Like that's, that's what they bring up. I, I read this sometimes and I'm wondering like, is he like smell bad or kind of look funny that everyone's just like, you know, yeah, but he's really nice. You know, like he's got that going for him. I don't know what, what's actually going on, but they seem intent every time he's introduced that like, hey, that really nice guy, Barnabas, he showed up. And his name literally means Barnabas, son of encouragement. They named him that because, hey, you are so encouraging. You are so uplifting. We are so excited to have you around. Uh, so we're going to call you Barnabas from now on. Uh, and then later on, his second appearance in Acts uh, was actually when Saul, who uh, was just, just encountered Christ and converted uh, was going through his process uh, and started preaching the word of Jesus and, and testifying about his encounter with Christ. And Barnabas witnessed this and actually was the first, uh, first of the apostles to, to come and say, hey, you know what? He sounds legit. I'm going to grab him and I'm going to testify like, hey, the Spirit's moving through this guy. So he brings him before the rest of the apostles and says, hey, he's real. Like, I know that we're, we've been afraid, but I've seen it and it, it's real. Uh, so he was the first one to really believe in Paul and, and uh, brought him before the apostles. Uh, and they, then Paul was approved for the rest of his ministry. So 
Barnabas is a key figure uh, and a key figure in Paul's ministry and a key figure in the book of Acts, but most of us don't even really know much about him. This might be the first sermon you're hearing on Barnabas. Uh, and that's, it's kind of significant because we already have these guys named, uh, that we don't know their names from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they're a part of this church in Antioch. Now we got this guy named Barnabas, who we, most of us don't really know too much about, and he is a big part of this church in Antioch. And it's not until Paul comes along that we're like, oh, okay, now I know. I know what you're talking about. I know this guy named Paul. I've heard his story. I know what he's about. But we've got these other people that have been instrumental in this church in Antioch that we don't even know too much about uh, and don't seem that significant, but are very important to this story. So Barnabas arrives on the scene, and he's actually pretty, uh, he was a perfect man for the job. He was a perfect man for the job because he was an encourager, because he was an uplifting person, and his goal wasn't to come to the church and correct. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. But uh, you have this moment where, like, you're really excited about something, and then someone says, yeah, but that's not going to work. Like, you're doing it all wrong. Your motives are wrong. They come in and point out all the flaws that are in your plan, and it totally deflates you. You ever experienced that? Right? And it's not that we don't need people to tell us. Like, I, I definitely need people in my life to like, Corbin, stop. You're, you're embarrassing me. You know, like, he, this is not right. You need to come at this from another perspective. I need wise counsel, for sure. But there's a way to do it that doesn't deflate you. Like, hey, I, I'm, I'm pumped what you're doing. It sounds good. Let's, let's do that, but slightly different. Let's make an alteration. Let's do something like that. And what I see, what I hear from what Barnabas is doing is he's coming and encouraging these people. He's coming and uplifting them. He's not coming to correct them and tell them, hey, you guys are doing this all wrong. Your services are terrible. This is not right. He doesn't come in and try to rebuke them. He comes in and encourages them and says, guys, this is awesome. You guys are excited. I think we could do things a little differently, but I'm so pumped that you guys are excited about this. Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep working. And he encourages them and uplifts them. And if you want an analogy to kind of witness what's going on here in this story in Antioch is we got these men from Cyprus and Cyrene that plant seeds, right? They come in and just tell their story. They tell what they've heard and they tell it to everyone, not just Jews, but to Gentiles as well. They share their me- the message of the gospel and they plant the seeds. They're not important to the story, right? We don't know their names, but they're actually important to what's going on in Acts. Um, but then we got this guy named Barnabas come in. And again, doesn't seem that significant because he's not the one that comes and reaps the harvest, but he does come and help him grow. He waters the plants and he helps the seeds grow and he encourages them and uplifts them. And then we see at the end of this little passage... Barnabas recognizes something, and as a pastor, I find this uh, extremely convicting because, to be honest with you, like, I struggle with it all the time. I want the glory. I want to be the Paul. I want to stand up and everyone to recognize what's going on and be like, oh, man, that was amazing. Corbin, you are awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I am, huh? right? So, but I, I like that validation. I like to know that God is using me. I like to see that and to feel that I want the big numbers to come and worship Christ because of me. And I experienced that. So when I see Barnabas do what he does next, I'm like, wow, I wish I had that humility. I wish I could be honestly saying, yeah, I would totally do the same thing in his position. Because what he does is, is awesome. He recognizes that, you know what? He's got a role to fill. He's going to encourage this church. He's going to uplift them. He's going to water the plants and help them grow. But he knows, he knows he's not the man for the harvest. He knows that he needs help 
that this church is exploding and they need someone that knows the scriptures better than he does. That they need someone that understands the Jew-Gentile tension better than he does. He, he knows that they need someone to lead this church forward and he is not the man. But he's going to go get him. He's going to go get that man and his name is Paul. Right? He goes and gets him. He's still in Tarsus and he goes and grabs him and brings him back with him. And now this is about nine years after Paul had initially uh, converted to Christ. He's been preaching and teaching uh, in his hometown. Nothing significant about Paul's life has happened since his conversion. Uh, but now Barnabas remembers him and says, hey, you're the perfect guy for this. And this is so significant. This is so important because we have the rest of the church, the rest of the New Testament to thank for this one action where Barnabas says, you know what? I'm going to be humble and say, you know, I, I, I like what's going on and I could take the credit and be excited that I was used by God, that I started this church in Antioch, that I helped it grow and it, it became what it is. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. It's because of that we don't, rec- we don't remember Barnabas' name. It's because of that we don't think about Barnabas uh, as this great hero of faith. But yet, here he is, so significant, so important to this story. And because of that, because of what he did, he brought in Paul. And Barnabas and Paul begin their ministry and stay there for a year, preaching and teaching. And they, they help this church grow, this church in Antioch, this church in this large city grow. And then it says one more See how small this is? You would just overlook it. But then this one small little thing that also mentioned here. It was the first time we were called Christians. And I'll include myself in that. This is like the first moment. That's kind of a significant like little aside. One sentence that Luke decides, he's like, oh yeah, now we're called Christians, right? And it's actually kind of funny because it was originally meant as a derogatory term. Like people were like, ha you guys are little Christs. Like you, you little Christ followers. And they're like, yeah, like that's exactly what I'm going for. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, I'm okay with that. It's nothing worse than when you're trying to make fun of someone and they're like, yeah, that, that works. And like, you know, dang it. Like you're supposed to be upset. But they didn't. They were excited about that. And that's what the, the Christian meant. Like a little Christ, a, a follower of Christ. And it was at, at, in this church in Antioch where they were first called that. And we've since adopted that name. The name that was supposed to be insulting to us is now what we proudly declare, you know, on our Facebook, we click Christian, right? That's a, hey, that's what I am. So uh, it all starts and it's in this small, somewhat insignificant passage that we hear all this stuff and we learn about what Barnabas did. Um, I have a little story that I want to share before I move on to the next thing. So one of the th- reasons why I love Barnabas so much is because he's an encourager. I am naturally a negative person. Um, like that's just what I have inside of me when I was in high school. If you met me in high school, you'd understand. Like I was depressing. <laughs> Ask my friend Eddie, he went through it. And I was just, I was just depressed all the time. Like everything was about me and everything was terrible. Like I hated this. I hated my life. I hated the world around me. I hated how things were done. I hated that I was so freaking short. Like, come on, God. <laughs> I, I prayed every time, God, make me taller, make me taller. And that made, made me taller and girls still, still didn't like me. But anyway, I, uh, I was negative. I, it was a natural inclination for me to just believe all the negative stuff, to immediately jump to the negative conclusion. And it was during college that God started to work on my life and be like, dude, we got to fix this. We, we got to stop this negativity and start <laughs> like putting in some positivity uh, and, and start to view the world differently. And so God taught me how to do that. And I started to see my life through different lenses. And I started to recognize what God was doing. I started to actively look and say, you know what, God, 
you say good things are coming out of this. Let me look for it. Let me believe in that and have faith in that. And let me see what you're doing. And I started to see things through a whole different lens. So now I'm kind of one of those annoying people that like, is like still positive when things suck and everyone's just like, shut up. Like what? Stop being so happy all the time. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't want to be upset. So God has taught me that. And then uh, as I became a youth pastor and started serving in ministry, God taught me another gift uh, to be able to see the positive in people. Because again, I'm naturally negative. So I'll see all the bad in somebody and I could point it out very easily. But God was teaching me saying, hey, um, let's look at the good. Let's see what we can. Before we say anything negative, before we call out anything negative, let's, let's try to point out everything positive that we can. And so God was teaching me that, and especially in ministry, as I worked with youth students, I had one kid in particular that, man, he, he went through some stuff when he was, he was growing up. He had some awful experiences, and because of that, he was kind of an awful kid, to be honest with you. Like, every time there was a problem, and, and, and someone was saying, hey, Corbin, you got to go get this kid, I was like, oh, what do you do this time? Like, what, what is going on? And every time, and I would get mad at him. I'd yell at him, be like, dude, you can't do this over and over again. Stop being like this. And I would, you know, I would come down hard on him. And then I saw one of my best friends uh, in ministry loving on this kid at one point. And he was laughing and joking around, having a good time. And it was the first time I saw this kid, like, really happy. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just hanging out with my best friend, and they were just getting along perfectly. And it really convicted me at that moment where God was like, hey, this is how you're supposed to approach him too. What I realized is that uh, this kid had been told over and over again, he's a bad kid. You're a bad kid. You're a bad kid. You did this wrong. You do this wrong. You do this wrong. You think wrong. You act wrong. You talk wrong. Over and over again, he's being told this over and over again. No one's ever pointing out, hey, there is good in you. Hey, I see good in you. I'm going to call that out and point out that, hey, you know what? You got a good heart. You genuinely care. And I see that. You, you, you hear and, and uh, believe what you're being taught. You, you have faith in people. And, and genuinely, though you have a hard time showing it, you respect people and you, you care about them and love them. And so when I first started recognizing that and calling that out in him, I saw a change. Now, he didn't become like this amazing kid overnight, but he did start to treat me different. He said, he started to act different. He started to talk different because finally someone was introducing a different narrative. Finally, someone was saying, hey, you're not a bad kid. You're doing some bad, thing, bad things, but that doesn't, that's not defining who you are. So God taught me how to uh, show love and call out the good in people. And what I see Barnabas doing in this, this encouraging time and why I think he, he's an instrumental figure that we don't give enough credit to it's because he comes to this point and he's, instead of criticizing, pointing out all the wrong, which I'm sure, you know, this is a brand new movement. They're, they're not getting this. They're Gentile believers. They, they just had these guys show up and tell them about the gospel. They probably are getting a lot of the worship practices wrong. But instead of coming in and criticizing Paul, or Barnabas comes and encourages them. And one of the things that I feel like is important is that, that I embody that same attitude that Barnabas has. And that's why I try to be as encouraging as I possibly can. I try to say at least three compliments for any negative criticism I might have. And honestly, I struggle saying criticism now. I have a hard time with it because I want to be positive. I want to be encouraging. And I believe that if I encourage, I will, be better, I, I will better suit the person and, and help them become a better person than if I criticize constantly. Uh, so that, that's just been one of my goals and something that I've been working on as a pastor. 
We're going to read on in the story and find out what happens uh, to Barnabas and, and Saul. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, uh, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So, again, this small, insignificant passage uh, gets overlooked all the time, but it's, it's vitally important to what God is doing. What ends up happening is this man named Agabus, he's a prophet, used by God to send messages of, of a foretelling of something that's going to happen, and he appears uh, significantly in Paul's life twice, and it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things, literally, is uh, it's bookends. Uh, and right in the beginning of Paul's and Barnabas' ministry, Agabus appears and says, hey, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a famine in all the land, and we're going to need to provide needs for the Jerusalem church, so we need to send people around collect some money, uh, and, and send it back. And that's ended up being exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They were charged with the task of collecting the money. So they've been preaching at Antioch, and now God's calling them onward. And because of that, Paul goes uh, to Ephesus. Paul goes through Galatia. Paul goes to Colossae and Philippi. Paul goes to Corinth, and he goes to all these cities that we would end up, uh, he would end up writing letters to, and we would get the rest of the New Testament. All because of this prophecy that was given that there would be a famine and Paul and Barnabas' ministry begin. They, they go off and they start this missionary journey uh, and the Christian church and the world has changed because of that. Because of all this, this one moment. Later on, Agabus would come in and bookend the ministry by telling Paul he's going to die. So, yeah, that's less of a, an exciting point. But, anyway, that's where Agabus appears and, and bookends Paul's ministry, which begins here. And uh, Paul becomes, as we know, an important figure. And his name is remembered. We all remember Paul. We all know Paul. The thing is, not all of us are going to be a Paul. Uh, And I don't mean that in like a negative way. um, But the point is, Paul was designed by God, created by God, and, and specifically like crafted in his life to do exactly what Paul did. Like God had a plan, had a plan for Paul to be used in the exact way that he was. And all Paul did was respond. Remember, he didn't like call out to people and go to Antioch and start the church. No, no, no. Barnabas came to him and said, hey, I need your help. And that's how Paul's ministry began. And, and he didn't go and start a missionary journey on his own steam. No, they said, hey, we need someone to go collect money. And Paul responded. See, over and over again, we, we get this notion that we're supposed to like go into action and, and drag God into it. Most of the time, the characters in the Bible, God's being the main character saying, hey, I need your help here. Hey, I need you to go here. I need you to do this. God is at work calling us. And all the disciples did, all the apostles did, all the people in, in the New Testament that we read and all the people in Acts that we're finding out about, they were just available. They just answered the call and said, okay, there's a need. I can, I can fill that need. I can help. And it may not be so significant as, as what Paul ends up doing it might be just like these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene that just shared a story, planted a seed. But because of that, the Antioch church took off. It might be like Barnabas, just to come and encourage, to grow, help grow and, and establish something and, and uh, 
find the right guy. Be humble enough to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This is about what God is doing. And so I'm going to bring someone else that can help me out to finish this, this mission. And then Paul comes in and he cleans up and he harvests uh, and his name becomes great because uh, of that. But ultimately, all of these characters, all of these people were significant and important and vital to what happened here in Antioch. Uh, and ultimately in the church as a whole. Uh, we're going to turn towards communion right now. Uh, so ask the people to pass it out. As they're passing that out, I just want to remind you, this is an open table. Um, so if you are a follower of Christ and believe in him, you are welcome to partake with us. Please just grab it, hang on to it. We're going to take it together. Uh, and while they're passing that out, I'm going to run through a few implications for us this morning. I have three implications and they're all three words, so it's pretty simple. Um, first and foremost, uh, expect God's hand. And what I mean by this is not just to understand that God um, is at work, not just to understand that he is the main character, but to expect it, to believe in it, to have faith in it. One of the things that I've been hearing about this blessing bed story, you guys heard about this? Anyone know? Okay. Uh, yeah, our senior pastor is really stoked about it. And honestly, I'm stoked too. Every time he tells us a story, it's pretty cool. And one of the things that I noticed, and actually our senior pastor has noticed, he's, he's recognized that God continues to fill needs. Like God continues to come through and, and to fill needs. Uh, so whenever he's uh, coming to a moment where it's like, hey, we need this. And he'll be something specific. Like we need this exact type of lumber. Or we need this length of screw. Right? Like we need these things, specifically these things, God continues to provide. And over and over again, he'll talk your ear off. You guys know. Right? He'll tell you stories about how God comes through every time. Like there's always a need and specific detailed needs and God comes through. And the same thing, why I think Luke is so adamant about letting people know, hey, God was at work. God's hand moved. God added to their number. Over and over again, it was the Lord. It was the Spirit it wasn't these men. He wants us to understand that. Why? Because, well, later on, we see that Luke is a part of this. He starts saying stuff like we and us, and he's saying, he, he walked around with Paul and saw what happened. He saw what God was doing. And he recognized, just like Thad is recognizing today, you know what? I'm just a dude. God's doing all the work. Like, I'm just here being available. God continues to provide the needs. I'm not even sitting here asking for things, and people, the, the things just show up. And people that have taken part in this, you're starting to recognize and you hear these stories and like, okay, see, God's still at work. He's still moving. He's still using people. And all we have to do is be available. So expect his hand to move. Have faith in that. Pray detailed prayers so that you know that when it gets answered, it was definitely God. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Just like the apostles, just like Barnabas, just like these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, just be available to be used in whatever way it is. It might be small, somewhat insignificant, but it could be vital. It's still important. It's still part of what the story uh, entails and still sets up for what God is doing. So expect God's hand. Second thing, be like Barnabas. And I've already kind of shared like who he is as a person. He's an encouraging, uplifting, beneficial type of person, the kind of guy you want around. Be like him. I don't think all of us can be like Paul. Sorry to say. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what your giftings are. I don't know how God has raised you, but we're not all necessarily going to be the gifted Paul type. We can learn from him. We can grow like him. Yeah, be like him as much as we can, but don't expect necessarily that. But what I do believe is we can all be quite a bit like Barnabas. 
We may not all have the gift to teach and preach, but I think all of us have somewhat of a gift of encouragement. We can all be positive to each other. We can all be encouraging to each other. One of the things that attracted me uh, to real life early on was that this was uh, a real church that was dealing with real people, and the goal uh, of this church was to not judge each other. That this could be a place of non-discrimination, that we could come together and worship our Father together uh, without having to feel guilty or look down upon. But why not go a step further? And to be honest, I think you guys actually do this pretty well. At least I, I've experienced this. Is that let's go a step farther. Instead of just not judging each other, let's be encouraging to each other. So that instead of not coming to this room and coming and being a part of this church, this isn't just a church where you don't feel guilty. This is a church where you feel encouraged and uplifted. This is a church where you come to and you're like, oh man, this is an awesome place. The people walk out those doors and be like, man, I feel so pumped up because everyone was so nice to me. That's what Barnabas does. That's the attitude and it's an infectious attitude. Can I say infectious right now? Is that okay? <laughs> but he's, he, it's this attitude that, he, that is spreading because of who Barnabas is. So be like Barnabas. Be encouraging. Be positive as much as you can. There's a time for criticism. There's a time for rebuke. But let's, let's uplift each other. Let's let this be an encouraging place so that we can all upli- like, get along together and, and be excited about the God we serve and the place that we're meeting in. The last thing is trust the process. Something that is a common theme throughout this entire passage and honestly throughout the history of the world is God consistently takes something bad and turns it into something good. Now, you have to have the, the lens of God's at work and it's, it's God's good, not necessarily your good or what you want, but it's God's good. And God uses stuff like the persecution to actually encourage the believers and spread them out to accomplish his mission. He uses things like a derogatory term to actually encourage us and tell us, you know what, we are little Christ, we are Christians. He uses um, a famine that, that should be a negative, terrible thing and uses it for good because he sends Paul and Barnabas on their mission. If we believe what we believe about God, that he's a good God, that he loves us, that he cares about us, and he's working all things for good, then let's have faith and, and trust that. Even when our circumstances don't necessarily show that, even when it doesn't feel like that, let's trust that God's got a good plan and he's bringing it out. Let's make ourselves available to help out wherever we can. God, I don't, tr- I don't know what you're doing, you know? But I know that you're at work. What can I do to help? Let's have that attitude. Let's, let's trust in what he's doing. Let's be like Barnabas and expect God to move and use us. Uh, we are celebrating as we do every week what Jesus has done for us. We are remembering it. Uh, and it's, it's a significant thing that sometimes I think uh, I, I have a tendency to overlook. Um, but we, we, we do this every week because we want to be reminded as often as we meet that Jesus died for us, that he, that he was our sacrifice. And it's because of this that even in our toughest of circumstances, we can always remember that we are loved and that God has a good plan. We will be with him someday. So, Jesus passed his, the bread amongst his disciples on the last night, and he, he said, this is my body, which I will break for you. Take and eat, everyone. In the same way, Jesus passed the cup, and he told his disciples, this is my blood. This represents my blood, which I will shed for you. Take and drink. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. 
thank you for what you've done for us and how you've called us to be a part of your mission. I pray, Lord, that uh, we can have the faith and boldness to know that you're at work and that you're willing to use us and that we can just keep our eyes open. When you call, we'll answer and we'll give of ourselves. I pray, Lord, that in our present climate, in the circumstances that are around us, that you help us remain faithful knowing that you have a good plan, that you're out to uh, do something good out of something that we, we see negative. I pray that uh, at the, in this time, I can only pray for myself. I can only offer myself up and say, God, use me in whatever way you can. Do what good you can through me. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you for the encouragement that they are to me. I pray, Lord, that we can continue to encourage the world around us and the people that come here. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.